Before we move into the message, uh, Nancy Decker has something she wants to share. And so come on, Nancy. You don't know how much this, I hate this. I've sung in front of many, many people, and it didn't bother me at all. But to get up and express what God has put on my heart is really hard for me. But I want to encourage you today that if you have children who are far away from God, who've walked through church, our daughter was raised in church, grew up in missionettes, was crowned the star, and um, she decided that she wanted to go her own way. But Mama didn't give up praying for her. And when Mama couldn't pray, I had a very dear friend who could. And Jamie is serving the Lord today because we did not give up on her. And God used 9-11 to bring her home through that horrible, horrible tragedy that happened. But that's what God used for her to call and say, Mama, can I come home? But... I want to encourage you today, if you have children who are not walking with the Lord, that don't give up. Keep bombarding the gates of heaven with your prayers. They will return. That is exactly what happened with St. Augustine. He had a praying mother. He had strayed, and she prayed him back into the kingdom. And, of course, as Rob told you earlier, one of the most influential theologians in the history of the church because of a praying mother. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that we are in the midst of your revealed presence. We also recognize that, as, as John has pointed out, that we are always in your presence. We cannot go anywhere to escape your presence But we're grateful for those times that you choose to reveal your presence to us. We sense it, and sometimes we even feel the effect of your holy presence. We pray this morning that that would would allow you to speak to us, to produce something in us that we could export that new wine we've been singing about. Lord God, I pray that as we look at these verses today, I pray that you would speak to us from from this account and that you we would not cease experiencing and understanding your presence this morning. <clears throat> we would not move from a place of your presence to a place of of uh, intellectualism that we could understand some words, but that we would hear the voice of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would enable me to be the vessel by which those words come. But more importantly, I pray that the still small voice would speak to each one of us from your Holy Spirit today. And I pray in the name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. Amen. We we are continuing taking a look at some encounters and engagements. And I'm praying that each one of these 
accounts that we've dealt with over the last several weeks, I pray that one of them would have spoken to you or one of them would have met you where you are and provided what you needed or one of them would have inspired you to go out into the the highways and byways, so to speak, or you'd go out into the pathway and allow God to use you and, and cause you to have this encounter <clears throat> like we have looked at already. Today we're calling this encounter Finding Our Way to the Macedonian Jailer. This is an interesting account, and in a little bit we'll be turning to Acts chapter 16. Uh, but this is interesting in, in because it provides us various ways, various encounters, or various ways of getting us to an encounter. And it's a look at how God guides us. And it's interesting that, uh, that, uh, uh, I'll be quoting today quite a bit, uh, from Don Basham's book, How God Guides Us. And, uh, we're, we're going to see in this story, we're going to see the, uh, the positive in a seemingly negative circumstance. We, this has already been addressed today, but we can see and we often see the positive of what God's doing in a negative circumstance. We would, it's a circumstance that we would not choose. And yet God chooses it for us. And out of that, we see positive. And then, obviously, what we're looking for is finding the path to that ordained person or location or that situation. <clears throat> because God's always moving us somewhere to someone or to something, mostly someone. Acts chapter 16, and, and we'll be reading, we'll just, I'm just going to have us read uh, firstly, verses 6 through 10. Let me just say this before I have you stand. Verses 1 through 6 are the account, or 1 through 5, are the account of Paul meeting Timothy. He said he met, a, he met Timothy, who was already a disciple. His mother was a believer. His father was a Greek, which was by his way of saying his father was not a believer. And he takes Timothy, and Timothy joins with Paul and Silas in their journeys. And so now we'll take up at verse 6, if you wouldn't mind standing while I read through verse 10. And it says, And they, and again, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You can be seated. They, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, traveling together. And the scripture says, well, it doesn't say, but it infers they tried to go into Asia. 
It says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia, which in, which tells us they were trying to go into Asia and speak the word of God. And we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit forbade them from going into Asia. <clears throat> we do know that in that same Asia, we could find Ephesus and the six other churches that letters from Jesus were written by John in the Revelation. So you would think of all places that the Lord Jesus would want his three servants to go into. You'd think it'd be Asia. Um, but it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into that, that region. And then they tried or attempted to go into Mysia or go in Mysia into Bithynia. They tried. And that's an interesting word there. In the ESV, we have the word attempted. Your Bible probably said tried. And that's a word that means they tested or explored. In other words, maybe they didn't know 100% that this is where God wanted them, but they tested it anyway. And they explored it anyway. And just like the Holy Spirit had forbidden them to go into Asia the Holy Spirit did not let them go into Bithynia and preach the gospel. Now, I want to tell you that all of Asia and Bithynia needed to hear the gospel. Do we believe that? There were people in those areas, in those regions, that needed to hear the gospel. And you and I might have missed God's voice if we would have operated from the mindset, oh, I got to go, I got to go, or it's not going to happen. Well, I know it's kind of hard for us to believe sometimes, but we're not the only ones in God's army. And here's something that I learned a long time ago about God, and it's important that we understand this. God is not a God of expediency. He does not operate. From a standpoint of expediency. We think we got to go. Got to do it now. I'm the only one that can do it. I got to do it. But God, we see proof here. Twice they tried to go into areas that we know needed the gospel. And twice the Holy Spirit caused them to withdraw. And they went down to Troas. And Paul had the vision. What they were doing was they were utilizing God's rudder, R-U-D-D-E-R. You know, a boat has a rudder that you turn to, to direct it. And I want to tell you that a rudder on a boat is useless if the boat isn't moving. <laughs> I mean, you can sit in the boat at the dock and push that handle all you want to, and it's not doing anything to the boat. It has to be moving. And which, which means we have to trust God enough to start moving in faith. They tried. They explored. They trusted God enough to move. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with you making a mistake. I mean, the only person that's never made a mistake, well, I'll take that back. The only person who's not making a mistake right now is a dead person. <laughs> Other than that. There's nothing wrong with you attempting or trying or exploring and letting God say, no, not that street. Try the next one. Because to be led by God means is preceded by our surrender and yielding. That's something about that's been said today already. And yielding in submission to the, to the Holy Spirit. 
Being led, you can't be led if you're still trying to lead. You can't be led if you're still dictating the circumstances. You have to submit. Someone said, I don't know who, men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. And that's what happens to us when we're trying to hear God, we're trying to move in God, and uh, we we have a certain parameter already set up. God, God contradicts that, and we can't handle it. <clears throat> Even in this story, we see various sources of guidance. Um, well, we see that in, in, I've just got a few here. Uh, one source of guidance is a still small voice, which we saw with Elijah and the earthquake, the wind and the fire. A prophetic word, Acts 21, Agabus takes a belt, puts it around him and prophesies to Paul that he's going to be bound up in Jerusalem, which happened. And then the vision or the dream of and an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Tell him about the birth of Jesus. There's also the, the, the guidance of circumstances. By that I mean open and closed doors. Which quite honestly, for a lot of us, that's, that's what we run into. Excuse the pun. Doors, you know, anyway. Closed doors are a valid part of guidance from God. And sometimes we miss that. Don't be afraid are frustrated by closed doors because a closed door is God's goodness. Garth Brooks sang about, thank God for unanswered prayer. Thank God that he didn't answer every prayer you've prayed. That's his mercy. That's his goodness. And that door that he closed that frustrated you is, is his goodness. Which means if you run into a door... I hope you don't hurt yourself, but you have the sense to turn and go another way and don't keep beating on that door. Paul and Silas and Timothy were not disheartened or intimidated by this, uh, this, uh, or forbidding for lack of a better term of the Holy Spirit to go into these areas. They, they did not get frustrated. They probably were bewildered. But we see in the story that Paul gets this vision of this man in Macedonia. It's clear that in his vision that this man is a Macedonian man, and he's calling, saying, come help us. Now, the question that would come to our minds is this. Why didn't God give Paul this vision at the beginning? Why didn't he save him? These attempts, these try, these trials, tests of going into these other areas, why didn't he just right from the get-go give him this vision? Well, the, the, the easy answer to that is because he's God. Often when God is wanting to do something with us, he gives us just enough information to point us in the right direction. Do you remember Philip and the eunuch? And the Holy Spirit, through the angel, said to Philip, go down that road. He did not say, go down that road and there'll be a eunuch sitting in a chariot that you'll need to talk to. He didn't tell him that. He just said, 
Go down that road. Oh, and by the way, it's heading to a desert. I'm sure that thrilled him. Go down that road to the desert, and that's all he had. But he went anyway because he was submitted. In his book, How God Guides Us, Don Basham says, if we could see the victories which lie ahead, we would get puffed up and prideful. And if we could see the problems which lie ahead, we would become too fearful to go on. Which is some of the reason why we don't always see the full picture. I sat personally with Don Basham one time in 1977. And I asked him that question. Why is it, why is it that everything is known that is, why is it everything known that is, you know, a fact? And he said to me the, the, exactly what he said in his book. Because sometimes what we do with what reveals, God reveals to us causes us to respond in a wrong way. Thank you, sir. And so they they get the vision and they start heading to Macedonia. On the way, they find some ladies with the Bible study by the lake. And that's verses 11 through 15. We're not going to read them, uh, but I just want you to, to reference them, verses 11 through 15, uh, that they're... He shares the word with them. I will share you, share with you a couple of things here. Uh, he says, uh, one who heard us. Oh, by the way, it, this is just anyway, in verse 10, I want you to see something. In verse 10, uh, so Paul had seen the vision immediately. We, this is the first time we appears in the book of Acts. Which is what it indicates, this is when Luke joined them. Luke had not been with them before he was writing what someone else had told him. But starting in this account, Luke is there. And so he says uh, in verse 14, one who hurt us was a woman named Lydia. She was a worshiper of God. Watch this part. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She was baptized and her household as well. God, Paul spoke the word. God's initiative was upon his word. And he opened her heart. And it reminded me of the two disciples after Jesus was resurrected and he walked along with them and it said he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Can I tell you, you cannot comprehend the scriptures unless he opens up your understanding. And Lydia, it says, she heard what he was saying and she said, oh, I need to be baptized. My whole household needs to be baptized. It was the Lord who opened her heart. I shared last week, I'll say it again today, as you're sharing with people, as you engage with people, with through just general conversations, don't, Don't think there's anything you can do to open their heart except that God will open their heart. This is also a lesson that there are often other appointments on the way to our assigned mission. Their assigned mission was the Macedonian man in the vision. But on the way, they shared with these ladies God opened human hearts. And then they arrived at what I call the appointed storm. In verses 16 through 24, again, I'm not going to read. I might read parts of it, but it says they were going, 
to the place of prayer, and they met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, which, interestingly enough, I don't know what to make of this, but the the Greek word there is the word python, the spirit of python. I don't know why, but lately, pythons seem to be in the news a lot. I mean, we saw a video of a house somewhere. They tore open the ceiling and looked like a whole bunch of pythons hanging from down from their ceiling and ones crawling across roads. I don't understand all that except she had a spirit of divination. She would tell fortunes. And, of course, she began following them. And she what she was saying, I mean, you know, we would learn that in Bible school probably. Uh, it, she she followed him and said, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, without some discernment, you and I would have thought, Boy, she must be a theologian. See, man, this is good stuff. And yet Paul had the discerning of spirits. And after a few days, I don't know why it took him a few days, but after a few days, he turned and cast that demon out of her. He was annoyed, the Bible says. Why was he annoyed? Well, there's a lot of speculation there. Uh, you probably want to know my opinion. You, and you can take my opinion and $5 go to Starbucks and get you a cup of coffee. I just think that it was Paul discerned that she was mocking them. He discerned that she was saying things to make fun of them to call them out, and it wasn't the girl that was doing that. It was, it was the demon inside of her that was doing that, which is really why he was annoyed. And he cast the demon out. The girl was healed. And here's where the problem comes in. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain, of function, I mean their gain was gone, their hope of profit was gone, Can I tell you that when you mess with people's plans and profit, their theology will change. They will adjust their theology to meet what they need to happen in a particular circumstance. And while, uh, uh, well, actually, William Barclay said it this way. When Paul cured her of her madness, the one thing that these owners felt was not joy at a fellow creature's restoration to health and sanity, but fury that their source of revenue was gone. Not happy that this girl who was afflicted, not happy that she was released from this demon. Because now their source of profit was gone. She couldn't, she couldn't exercise this spirit of divination anymore. Because she didn't have it and it didn't have her. And so they have them arrested. You know, and making up charges and putting them in jail. And sometimes we miss this part. It says, uh, well, I'm not gonna, it says that they received stripes. They were, they were locked up in a maximum security prison. And it says they were put in stocks. This is what happened to them when they cast the demon out of the girl.
Don Basham said in order to fulfill his plan, God stepped back, as it were, and allowed Satan to kick up a storm. Sometimes we see a storm or something like a storm being stirred up and we automatically want to rebuke the devil. And of course, the devil's involved in this storm for sure. But God, in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, said, I tell you what I'm going to do. Job said, if you take your hand off of Job, off of, I mean, Satan said, if you take your hand off Job, I believe I could touch him. God said, I tell you what, I'm going to let you touch him, but just don't, you can't kill him. Wait a minute, God. You're supposed to protect your servants. He did. He did protect his servants. Because at the end of the book of Job, Job receives back double what he had lost. But not only that, he was double the man he was. God allowed this storm to erupt so that he could achieve his purpose. And I want to tell you, and this is not news, and this has been said this morning too. Maybe I didn't need to say anything. God's divine arrangements aren't always easy and comfortable. As a matter of fact, I'd say they're rarely. <laughs> I was reminded as I was going through this uh, of a, some, I don't have you remember in 2005, there was an account that pe- people called the, the courtroom killer. Anybody remember that? There was a fellow that was in court to be arraigned on a rape charge, and he uh, beat up the guard who uh, who was helping him change, giving a place to change clothes, beat up her, took her gun, went in the courtroom, killed the judge, killed the court reporter, killed a deputy on the way out of the courthouse, later on killed an off-duty uh, FBI customs agent who was working on construction in a house, so he's killed four people, and the lady, the guard that was helping him, he beat her so uh, so bad that I think today she's still in a coma. And, uh, matter of fact, my wife and I just saw this movie the other night. I, the movie's called Captive, and I, I, I recommend it. I recommend the movie Captive. came out in 2015. And the guy ultimately wound up at this girl's apartment, this girl who's having problems with drugs in her whole life and she was a mess. Somebody at her rehab, or it was actually a Celebrate Recovery. Somebody had given her the book by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. I remember this story. I remembered it from back then. I didn't remember all the, the details, but she ultimately began to read him parts of this book. I'm not a big fan of everything that Rick Warren's written, but this was a pretty good book. And it is it's pretty direct. <clears throat> and the short story is that ultimately he began to melt, I guess, or crack. Or, and she would continue to read him parts of this book. Talking about God's purpose for your life. And so forth and so on. And ultimately... She, he let her walk out the door and go ostensibly to her daughter's fashion show, but ultimately to call the police. He ultimately gave himself up and, of course, is serving life without parole today for all of the charges. How in the world did this girl wind up 
with this guy in her apartment. He could have done any number of things. He still had the gun. She was young and fragile. How in the world? Well, Ashley Smith is her name, the 26-year-old hostage who notified police that the courtroom courthouse killer had turned him, wanted to turn himself in, read to him from the purpose-driven life, shared her personal faith, read with him the Bible, and prayed for more than seven hours in her one-room Duluth, Georgia apartment. He eventually told Smith he believed she was an angel, that God sent him to show him the pain he had caused others. He, he said, I was his sister and he was my brother in Christ, that he was lost and God had led him right to me. Smith said, I believe God brought him to my door so he wouldn't hurt anyone else. Now I repeat what I just read. God's divine arrangements aren't always easy and comfortable. And yet, if you and I will recognize, we will have that encounter. So they wind up in the jail, in the encounter in the jail. We know that story. They're locked up. And verse 25, about midnight, they were singing, praying. Watch this part. The prisoners were listening to them. I said last week, I'll repeat it, repeat it again this week. People are watching what you do. People are watching what you say and how you behave. <clears throat> the earthquake happens. Someone said God bowled a strike in heaven and, earth, and caused an earthquake. The earthquake happens. The doors are open. I, again, I love watching some of these commentators trying to explain that away. The doors weren't built right. They were shoddy construction. Okay. And yet here's when the doors are open, Paul and Silas, and here's the interesting part. None of the other prisoners left. I can understand that, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy, or I guess Paul and Silas, I don't know where Timothy went. I can understand them not leaving because of seeing something going on, but the other guys, what are they doing staying? And, of course, the jailer, he he sees the doors open. He thinks they're all gone. So he draws his sword to end his life because he's going to do it before they do it. And, of course, they call out, hey, we're all here. Don't, don't do that. We're all here. And I'm thinking, he's thinking, why? <laughs> you had your chance. How do you respond at your midnight? How do you and I respond when we're faced with a midnight in a, in a circumstance that we would never choose? What we do is we say, well, I wonder what we did wrong. I wonder where I went wrong. I wonder what I did to make God mad at me. And Paul, Paul says they could have done that. They could have said, well, I wonder what we did. We, we've done everything, and yet here we are in this jail, this nasty, stinky jail, prisoners watching. Well, they were, they had a choice to pray and sing or to moan and groan. We know their choice was to pray and sing. And this jailer, when he saw that, here's the interesting thing, saints. When he saw that they had not left, first thing out of his mouth was, what must I do to be saved? 
What does that tell me? That tells me God's Holy Spirit had already been working on that jailer. Some way, somehow, something had been going. It's just like when when the God said hit him with the light and they knocked Paul <coughs> off of that horse. Immediately Paul said, Lord, Lord. Wasn't the first time he had heard conviction from God. He said, what must I do? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. The jailer uh, visited their wounds and then he was baptized. Paul was willing to open the door of salvation to the jailer who had shut the door of prison on him. That's something we have to understand because we may deal with people in your engagements and in your encounters that I wouldn't have chosen them. Well, it's a good thing you're not doing the choosing. Another statement that Don says from his book is in order to get the gospel to the jailer, God needed to get the preachers to the jail. What a simple and yet profound idea. I got to get some folks into that jail so I can deal with this jailer. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a girl with a demon. We're going to have my servant cast the demon out of the girl because I know they'll put him in jail then. Man, God, you, you, man, can't you use somebody else? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I want to repeat that the idea of being saved or the word sozo in the Greek is not just to get our ticket punched to heaven, although, thank God, that's true. It's to save, heal, cure, preserve, keep safe and sound, rescue from danger or destruction, deliver, sozo, saves from physical death by healing, from spiritual death by forgiving sin and its effects. Sozo in primitive cultures is translated simply to give new life and to cause to have a new heart. It's the entirety of our being that is saved. And that's what happened to this sailor. I believe, and I first read this again from Don Basham, I believe when Paul had the vision in Troas, And he saw the man from Macedonia saying to him, come to Macedonia and help us. I believe the man in the vision was the jailer. God had a purpose and his purpose was to get his servants to that jailer. And so somehow he had to get them in the jail and he did. The jailer wasn't in Asia or they would have went there. The jailer was not in Bithynia, or they would have went there, which is why I believe God forbade them from going to those two places. Somebody else went to those places, but he wanted these guys to go to the jailer. Let me just tell you something. We need to quit thinking about 
people that we can get saved that can have big impacts on the world. Thank God for those that do. Or we need to not think about, well, how can I, how can I reach more people with my efforts? See, we, we want to reach large numbers of people. And thank God for those that Billy Graham's of this world that have done that. But don't disregard that one. Don't disregard the jailer. Because, you know, Paul could have thought, well, I don't know what's going to, just get this one guy saved in his house. What's that going to accomplish? Well, all the angels in heaven will rejoice for one thing. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Don't disregard the one. And don't miss the large net of the kingdom. I mean, here's Lydia, who I don't think was the primary assignment. Here's Lydia, who from Asia Minor, she's an immigrant, she's wealthy, she is baptized. Don't miss that the slave girl got free. Don't miss that the slave girl was touched by the kingdom of God through the hands of the Apostle Paul. And, of course, the jailer, he's Roman middle class. Touched them all. And then I'm not going to spend much time here. But just to finish up the chapter. I'll just read it's just a few verses. I'll read them. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. Let them go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. All right, guys, it's a good thing. But Paul, you know, Paul is a rascal. I like him. He's a real rascal. But Paul said to them, now they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and they've thrown us into prison, and they do now Throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The, rep- the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came, and they apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited their new convert, Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let me just say this sometimes. It seems like we're getting closer and closer to these times. Sometimes we have to recognize the current laws and access them. Sometimes we have to say, I'm thrilled. Uh, I met the Canadian pastor. I can't say his name, but I met him one day over here. This is how long ago it was. It was Courtney's for a moment in Courtney's. And when I got, when he left here, he flew back to Canada. And as soon as he hit the tarmac, they arrested him. Why did they arrest him? For having church. And when he got out of jail, he had church again. Because he knew the laws. He just, this week, he and a lot of other pastors in Canada were exonerated And I don't know how they're going to make restitution for all they did to them, but they held their ground. Paul was not so meek and mild. 
He recognized the laws and he accessed the laws. And sometimes we have to do this. And let me just tell you, in this case, it's highly likely that it was most likely for the sake of the believers that he was leaving behind in Philippi so that the authorities would not abuse them the way they had he and Paul and Silas. And then with their mission completed, what was their mission? The jailer. With their mission completed, they went on their way. Now, they didn't go into retirement. But you, you keep reading the book of Acts, you'll find out they didn't go into retirement. They just went on their way to the next stop in their mission. What does that mean to you and what does that mean to me? It means that God in his power and in his sovereignty is going to bring us to the place that he wants us to be, to the person that he wants us to come to, and empower us and give us the ability to speak to them. What must I do? It's a good thing Paul was standing there. So he could say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes your conversation with those people that you engage out there in the world, sometimes it isn't always just quoting them Bible verses and preaching them the gospel. It leads to that, hopefully. But it's how is your child? How is your husband doing? What about that cousin you told me about that's been dealing with cancer? How are they? Can we pray for them? It's, it's that kind of a conversation that leads to a heart that says, what must I do? And the other part that, that we learn from this is that God can use various and diverse ways to get us where he wants us. Stand with me.